Father, we, we ask that you'll teach us from your word. Lord, we know that, that what's in it is important. We need to know it. We need to understand it. We need to put it into practice. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will come and teach us. Lord, that he'll come and show us what Jesus wants. Because, Father, we want to be under your authority. Lord, we want to make sure that all the time our lives are coming in line with your will, your word. And Father, we want that to be true of ourselves as a church as well. So, Lord, we pray that you'll anoint our time now. Lord, anoint what is taught and anoint everyone who's hearing it. Father, that it will really go deep in our hearts because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> right, we return tonight to the uh, Church Life series that we're doing. You remember the last time that we were on this a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were looking at body life, body ministry, whatever it is you, you want to call it. And we now move on to the next sort of phase of this series because we've now got to cover the whole area of what does the Bible teach about the way that a church should be governed? What about leadership in the church, the government of the church? And as it happened, in fact, in the last study, you'll remember we were looking at, uh, you know, sort of various things, and in our perusings, we discovered two groups of people who aren't leaders, you'll remember. And we knocked two, two, two ideas on the head. The first idea we knocked on the head is that the church is governed or led by a priesthood. Priests do not lead the church. And you'll remember we saw the reason why priests do not lead the church. It's because we are all priests. So the idea of leadership equaling priesthood is just ridiculous because we are all priests. So we knocked any idea of priests being leaders absolutely on the head. No way. But there was a second group of people we knocked on the head, and that was ministers. Churches who are led by their minister. Now, do you remember why it is we knocked the idea of minister on the head? Well, it's because we are all ministers. Can you see you're back to the same problem? We are all priests. We are all ministers. Therefore, the idea of a church being led by a priest or a minister is lunacy. So therefore, that is not how churches ought to be led. So what we've got to turn to now is that we've got to ask, right, what is the leadership structure taught in the Bible for a church? And that is what we're going to go for tonight, and we're going to cover it very, very thoroughly. And in order to do it, we've got to look at different words, all right, and thoroughly understand what they mean. And they're the words that are used of the people who lead the church, and we need to understand exactly who they are. Well, the first word we've got to turn to is this, elder. Elder. We've got to understand what eldership is. Now, if you go to the Acts, we are now going to proceed at this moment, at the beginning, because if we didn't do it now, we'd have to do it later, to read a whole load of verses. But believe me, it will become clear, certainly later on, if not immediately, and yet my plan is that it become clear sooner than that, why it is we're doing it. But go to Acts chapter 11. Now, if I lose you, don't worry, I will read the relevant bits of verses. If you are following, we're only going to be reading little bits of verses. I'm actually going to be stopping mid-sentence. Now, don't let that throw you. I've warned you in advance, all right. Now, Acts 11, now, first of all, verse 30. And it says, And they did so, 
sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Go over to Acts chapter 14. And in verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, chapter 15, first of all verse 2, And when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the the apostles and the elders about this question. Go to verse 4. And they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. Go down into verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together. Go down into verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. All right, you getting the idea? Go over to chapter 16. In verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions which had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were at Jerusalem. Chapter 20, verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Chapter 21, verse 18. Aren't you glad we're not reading the verses in between? Chapter 21, verse 18, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy in chapter 4. And verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophetic utterance when the elders laid their hands upon you. Next chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour. Titus, which is after 2 Timothy. Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Keep going, James. James is after Hebrews. Chapter 5 and verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And 1 Peter, which is the next book, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. So I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now then, basically, what we've seen there, and this is what I just want you to get hold of at the moment, there is no doubt whatsoever that if we're going to understand what the Bible teaches about leadership in the church, then we've got to understand what eldership is, all right? And the second thing to note is that on each occasion in those readings, elders is always in the plural. So they're the two things just to grab. Elder is something to do with leadership in the Bible, and that when you get the idea of elder, it is always in the plural, right? We'll be back to that later. Let's get to grips with the actual word. What is an elder? What what does the Bible say about an elder? What on earth is it? Now, the Greek word is presbuteros, all right? And in fact, as a, you know, it's where we get the word presbyter or presbytery from. It's presbuteros. And the Greek word literally and simply means an older person. That is what it means, an older person. And in fact, the English equivalent to the Greek word presbuteros would be a senior 
So that when you've got presbuteros, the idea is simply of a senior. And it comes from the Greek word proesbino, and that means to be far advanced. And also in the Greek, presbus is an old man. Now that is what the word elder simply means. Now, it was completely natural, it was completely natural that the early church would have chosen that word for the people who were going to be leading the churches. And the reason it was so natural is because at the time of the early church, the Jews and the Greeks already used that word for the leaders in their community. So that to the Jewish mind and the Greek mind, remember the early church was born into the Jewish and then the Greek world, that in that world, that they already used the word elders for leaders, presbyteros in the Greek. And so therefore the early church decided to, to, you know, sort of stick with that. And the reason they did is that the actual word itself, the reason that elders became the way that people thought of the leaders of their community, is because that word carried to them the thought of maturity and responsibility. When the word elder, presbuteros, was used in, in uh, connection with a civil leader, the idea that it carried was always that of maturity and responsibility. So that's why they got that word. Now I've already told you that presbyter is an alternative translation. So that in your Bibles, all right, when you get this Greek word presbuteros, it is valid to translate it either elder or presbyter. The words mean exactly the same thing. But there's a problem with the word presbyter. And here is the problem with the word. Because in the way that the English language has kind of developed down the years, it's the English word presbyter that the word priest comes from. Now, can you see a problem with that? In the English language, it was the word presbyter which became, eventually, that word turned into priest. And how that happened is that the word priest in its modern form, is an abbreviated form of the Old English word presta, all right? And presta was an Old English kind of short way of saying presbyter. So therefore, you had presbyter, elder, but in the English language, presbyter was abbreviated to presta in Old English. And the modern word priest developed from this Old English word presta, all right? Now, that, that is where it creates a problem. Because in English, we've got the idea still with us today that kind of presbyter or elder is something to do with priesthood. And it is not in the slightest. And I can demonstrate that because in the Greek, and remember the New Testament was written in the Greek, the Greek word for priest is herios. That's the Greek word. It's got nothing to do with presbuteros whatsoever. And also, if you read through the New Testament, when that word priest, herios, is used, it is only ever used in teaching about the church in connection with all believers being priests. It is never used in the New Testament putting forward the idea that leaders are priests 
as opposed to the people they are leading. So the point is that in the New Testament, the usage of their word priest, it's never tied up with eldership, it is only ever tied up of simply being a Christian. All right. So, but there we have this first word, elder, used of leaders in the church. And it carries with it the idea of maturity and responsibility. Right, that's the first word that we need to come to grips with, elder. We've seen what that is. But there's a second word that we need to come to. Go to 1 Timothy 3. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. Or in fact, we'll, no, we'll, we'll read from verse 1. The saying is sure, if anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, blah, blah, blah. Bishops, goodness, go to Titus. Titus, chapter 1 and verse 7. And he says, for a bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless. My goodness, go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Right, so now it's quite clear that if we're going to understand leadership in the church, we've now got to understand bishops. But in fact, the Bible teaches that there are bishops. So what is the Greek word for bishop? It's a translation of the Greek word episkopos, all right? And episkopos comes from two other Greek words, epi, which means over, and the verb skopio, which means to look or to watch. And in fact, in the Greek, skopos translates as watchman. So what you've got is the idea of someone who is watching over. Hence, you get the word overseer. And often in the Bible, you'll find that where some versions put bishop, others puts overseer, because overseer is just a literal translation of the Greek word. And in fact, in the Greek, it carries this idea of watching over, overseer, but also with it the idea of guardianship. All right, and obviously if you've got a watchman or an overseer, part of his function is to be that of a guard. <clears throat> so what we've got to ask now is, right, if the Greek word is episkopos, and if it can be translated overseer, why on earth does the English word bishop come into it at all? Why is it that, you know, that in our English Bibles this word bishop turns up? Well, the reason for that is quite simply this. The old English word for an overseer was a biscop. That was the old English word for an overseer, a biscop. All right. And so the point is that the word bishop is a modern development of the old English word biscop, which was the word they used then for an overseer. And so bishop, the English word bishop, simply comes from that. But of course, <clears throat> the problem, again, is that in English, as that word became bishop, also the idea sprung up that what you had in the leadership of the church 
was that you had a bishop who was the big chief and underneath him were the priests or the presbyters. Now, that was the idea that sprung up, all right? And uh, we'll be back to that later. But uh, the point is that what we're seeing here is that when Paul writes about church leadership, he writes about people who are bishops. And also, episkopos in the Greek, it carries no idea of an ecclesiastical meaning whatsoever. So that this word in the Greek, episkopos, which we translate bishop, in the Greek it carries no idea of ordination or being a priest, anything like that. It was simply the Greek word for an overseer. And the reason that the early church used that word is that it carries the thought of vigilance, a watchman, it carries the thought of leadership, because it's used of leaders in the church, and it carries the idea of guardianship. And I think the best way to sum up the office of the bishop is that it is a protectorate, that bishops form a protectorate, all right. So then, there's the second word, bishop episkopos, we've seen that. Now then, the third word we need to have a look at, go to Ephesians 4. You might be wondering, well, I mean, who are the elders then and who are the bishops? Ah, we'll be back to that later on. Fear not. Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And the third word we want appears here. And in verse 11, his, some, his gifts were, were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And it's that word pastors that we now want to move on to in order to understand, all right? Well, the Greek word here is poimen. And the Greek word for pastor comes from the verb that simply means to feed. And the literal translation of poimen, as it gets translated pastor, is shepherd. And the reason that pastor came from it is because a shepherd does pastoral work. The original meaning of pastoral was all to do with fields and nature, hence the pastoral symphony and things like that. So therefore, pastor and shepherd really are synonymous words. And that again, here there's a reference to some leaders in the church who are pastors. And I think that the point is that with them using this word for a shepherd, that the emphasis, I think, here is on the individual in the fellowship rather than the corporate flock. All right. So then, let's go through exactly what we've got, all right. First of all, we've got presbyteros, we've got elders or presbyters. Either word, elder, presbyter, they're the same words, no problem, all right. And the idea of presbyteros carries with it maturity and responsibility, word number one. Word number two is we've got episkopos, or bishop or overseer or guardian, all the same words, no problem, carrying the idea of vigilance and leadership. And we've got poimen, pastors or shepherds, and theirs is the pastoral or the personal caring aspect. All right. Now then, what I want to try and show you, because what we're going to move on to is very, very interesting. Well, I just want to show you this, that in Presbyteros, the idea of maturity and responsibility, that what you have there is a personal qualification for a leader. If someone is not mature, 
If someone isn't responsible, they're not qualified to be a leader. And that in the elder, we have the personal qualification for leadership. When we move on to episkopos or bishop, overseer, guardian, vigilance and leadership, we have there the leadership task relative to the whole church. The bishop looks over the whole flock, all right? He's not so concerned with individuals. He looks over the church as a whole. And then we've got poiman, pastor, shepherd, the pastoral, personal caring, and there we have leadership task relative to individuals in the church as opposed to the corporate mass. Right. Now, what we've got to demonstrate now from the Bible is quite simply this. Elder, bishop, pastor, I'm going to show you that they are in actual fact totally interchangeable words for the same people. So that what I'm going to show you is that an elder is just another name for a bishop, which is another name for a pastor, which is another name for an elder. That in fact all these names refer simply to the leaders in the church. Elder, bishop, pastor, they are simply different names for the same role. And that is what I want to demonstrate to you now. Right, let's start with elder and bishop. Remember, I'm going to show you that an elder is a bishop, and a bishop is an elder. Different words for the same person. And remember, elder and or presbyter. Elder equals presbyter, or bishop equals overseer or guardian. No problem. Right, go first to Titus. And let's prove that an elder is a bishop and a bishop is an elder. Titus, chapter 1, Titus comes after 2 Timothy. Titus, chapter 1, and let's read verse 5 to verse 7. This is why I left you in Crete, that you may amend what was defective, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If any man is blameless, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of being profligate or insubordinate, for a bishop as God's steward must be blameless, and then goes through the qualifications. Now we already have a hint there, don't we? That here, he's talking about qualifications for leadership, and he starts off talking about elders, and then two verses later he's talking about bishops. There's our hint that they're the same, but let me prove it totally. Because if you go to 1 Timothy, written by the same person, written by Paul the Apostle, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Remember, in Titus, we saw Paul saying, right, I'm now going to list the qualifications of an elder. All right. Now then, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, the saying is sure, if anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife's temperate, sensible, dignified. And that what you'll find is that that list that he writes out there for the qualification of a bishop is practically virtually identical to the list he writes for the qualification of an elder. Why? It's the same job that he's talking about. A bishop 
equals an elder. The qualifications are the same in each case. So there, can you see, he's not writing one set of qualifications, these applies to elders, but these qualifications apply to bishops. He's talking about exactly the same person, but he's talking about the different, he's using the different names given to their roles. Remembering each of these names, bishop reflects one role of a leader, Pastor represents another role of a leader, and elder represents another role of a leader. Just interchangeable words. But what we're going to do now is to see two passages where all three words are used in the same passage. And this will show you beyond doubt. Go first of all to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> And we're going to read verse 17 first. Acts chapter 20 and starting with verse 17. <clears throat> and from Miletus he, that is Paul, it's talking about Paul. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Now in verse 17 there you have presbuteros, our first, yeah, presbuteros, our first word, elder. So here, Paul is calling the elders of the Ephesian church. Notice again, it's plural, not the elder. He's calling the elders of the Ephesian church. And what he's going to go on to do is going to preach a little sermon to them. Now go down into verse 28, and let's pick up what he says. Remember, he's talking, he's called to himself the elders, the presbyteros, word number one. Now then, in verse 28, he says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you guardians. And that word guardians, what is it? It's episkopos. It's bishop. It's exactly the same word. So he's called to himself the elders of the Ephesian church. And while he's teaching them, he says, God has called you to be bishops. God has called you to be guardians. Can you see, it's a different words for exactly the same group of people. But there's more. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you guardians, episcopos, bishops. You could translate that Greek word bishop and that would be technically correct. And then he says, to feed the church of the Lord. And that verb there, to feed, is poimen. It's to pastor. So here, what we have is Paul calls the elders, tells them that they're bishops, and that they've got to pastor. Now can you see, the three words are simply interchangeable words for the same group of people, but each of the different titles, elder, bishop, pastor, these three titles for the same group of people each title is different because it represents a different aspect of the leadership function. All right. Right, go to 1 Peter. Let's see this exactly again. 1 Peter. We've seen Paul talking about it. Now 1 Peter. One Peter chapter 5. Right, start reading from verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you. This is presbuteros. Elder. 
So here, he's writing to the elders. Paul got the elders to him and gave him a little sermon. Peter is just writing a letter, all right? And he says, right, this bit, now I'm talking to the elders, Presbuteros. And he says, I'm doing so as a fellow elder, all right? As a witness of the sufferings of Christ, blah, 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 verse two. He says, tend the flock of God that is in your charge. And that word tend, do you know what it is? It's the Greek verb poimen, pastor. So here he's writing to the elders and he says, pastor the flock. And then he goes on to say, exercising the oversight. And that word oversight, what is it? It's episkopos, it's bishop. So here we have Peter writing to a church and he says, right lads, quick word here to the elders. Make sure you're doing your job as pastors properly and don't forget to be good bishops as well. Can you see? Presbyter or elder, pastor or shepherd, bishop or overseer or guardian, different words for exactly the same people. All right. Okay, so there we have it. Isn't this incredibly simple? I mean, you can look around various sections of the Christian church today and you can find dozens of variations on this theme. Now, we're asking ourselves, what does the Bible teach about church leadership? And in 25 minutes, we've done it. But can you see how complicated it's got out there? There are churches who have bishops and priests and elders. There are other churches that just have elders with a bishop. There are other churches that just have priests and bishops. There are other churches that what happens is that they don't even have elders at all. They have deacons and we'll be doing deacons later, later on. The churches that have deacons and they're the big bosses, all right, and you've got the elders running around doing as they're told, which is exactly the wrong way around. Can you see, you've got every possible variation on this theme out there except the theme itself. And we are simply seeing what? That the Bible calls a leader an elder or a presbyter. It also calls him a bishop or a guardian or an overseer and it also calls him a pastor or a shepherd. These words are not different offices in the church, neither are they different layers of authority within the governing body in the church. They are simply different words for the leaders in the church. All right. Okay, let's just sum up here. What exactly have we seen so far? I will tell you. To start with, we have seen that I am a bishop. And I think I'll have a little bit more respect around here because of it. I've ordered my mitre, I've ordered my robes. Yeah, yeah. What have we seen? We've seen this elder or presbyter, same, same, elder or presbyter equals bishop or overseer or guardian equals pastor or shepherd. And there you have the simplicity of church government. It couldn't be easier. But remember what I said earlier. We've seen as well that the leadership, the government of a church, is always plural. We have here no hint whatsoever 
of someone who is in overall charge. We see again and again and again it was elders, 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 elders. It was plural, but with absolutely no hint of any hierarchy within the elders at all. In all the verses we read, did you spot the hierarchy? No, because it isn't there. You've simply got that churches are governed by a group of elders, governed by a plural leadership. And so we come down very simply to this. The Bible teaches that a church, an individual church, and this should of course be the same for all churches, but any one individual church should be led or governed by a plural, co-equal eldership. If there's no hierarchy, then all the elders <coughs> must be equal. They have exactly the same authority as each other. So the church should be led by a plural, co-equal eldership. And the one thing that the Bible does not teach, and yet in all the different variations on a theme that you can go out and see today, and I hinted at, they have one thing in common. It always goes up to one individual at the top. And yet we are seeing that each church is led by a plural, co-equal eldership. The fundamental point is this. There must be no overall leader. There must be no big chief in leadership in a church. Now then, let's ask ourselves, right, why not? I'm saying there mustn't be, so why not? Two reasons. The first one is quite simply this. No believer is infallible. As soon as you have a church led by ultimately one man at the top, the big chief, then the problem is that if the person in ultimate authority, the big chief, if he goes wrong, the whole church goes with him. Because he is the big boss, he is the final say in the church. And you see, this big chief elder system could only work safely on one condition. It could only work safely if the big chief elder, the one at the top, was infallible and sinless. Now, if a church can find an elder who's both infallible and sinless, then they would be biblically correct to make him a big chief elder. But of course, because no church has got any infallible and sinless elders, can you see? As soon as you have the system where one bloke at the top is in charge, the problem is, then what happens when they're wrong? There's no recourse. They are in charge. And that could only be the case if 
a leader was actually infallible and sinless. And believe me, none of them are. Let me just say something else here, because even in house churches, which have got back to eldership, a lot of house churches out there, they have got back to eldership. And that's good, but the sad thing is, you, always, you nearly always find this hierarchy still creeping in. So many house churches, they left the orthodox churches, which they were quite right to do, because they said that the system is wrong. But regrettably, they left, and then they simply came up with their own variation of the same, you see, sort of thing. And so even churches today with elderships tend to have a kind of an hierarchy. And one of the ways that they slip it in is that they sort of say that, for instance, oh yes, all the elders, we work together, but you'll find that there's always a senior elder. You come across this. You know, that you might have so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are elders, but so-and-so is the senior elder. And immediately you're right back to having someone at the top. But do you remember that one of the things that I told you was that the Greek word for elder, presbuteros, that its literal translation would be senior. So if a church wants to have a senior elder, it's ended up with a senior senior. And can you imagine introducing somebody as our senior senior? I'd like you to meet so-and-so, he's our senior senior. And when you realise what the word actually means, it becomes crazy, the idea of having senior elders. Can you see? The important thing is, no one person at the top. And we've said it could only work if they were infallible or sinless. Now that brings me to the second point. Why we do not have, okay, a big chief. And it's this. An individual church doesn't need a big chief, elder, bishop or shepherd, alright? Because... Each church has already got one. And this big chief elder or shepherd is infallible and sinless. His name's Jesus. Go to 1 Peter. Should already be in it, but 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And Peter says, and he's speaking of Jesus here. He says, and when the chief shepherd or pastor is manifested, if you want a chief pastor, you got it. Jesus is the chief pastor in every church, or rather, he should be. All right. Go back to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 25. And Peter says, For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, what's the word guardian? Episcopos, bishop. If a church wants a chief bishop, it's already got one. Jesus, he's the chief pastor, he's the chief bishop. And remember we've said that a chief, big chief, can only work if they're infallible and sinless. Well, Jesus is. So therefore, because we as a church already have a chief pastor or a chief bishop, his name is Jesus, you only need one big chief, therefore any other people in the leadership aren't going to be that big chief. Can you see that what we have is simply plurality and co-equality of elders? 
And the whole reason that elders are there, and the most important thing about elders, as they do govern churches, is that elders are meant to function under Jesus as the chief bishop or chief elder. They're supposed to function under his authority, following his directions and sticking to his instructions about how to do it, which are in the Bible. Now, can you see now what an eldership is for? An eldership is simply there to make sure that things are going according to the teaching of the Bible. They are not there as whiz kids. They're not there sort of like as these kind of business yuppies working their way up to the top because they've got such fantastic management powers or, or, or such great ability to come up with great ideas. Elders are there to make sure that the Bible is obeyed. And the reason that eldership is plural and co-equal, i.e. that no one has the last word, is because that minimises the chances of getting it wrong. Because again, if you've got a human big chief elder, if it's all down to him, he might, with the best will in the world, want to be just doing what the Bible says and leading his church according to what the Bible says. But you see, the point is, one person on their own, how can they guarantee they're always going to get the Bible right? And the point about having more than one leader, and the point about the leaders being co-equal, so no one can say, well, look, I'm sorry, I've got the casting vote here and I'm saying it's going to be like that like this. The reason for that is because therefore one person might say, oh yes, I know what the Bible says about this, and there might be others to say, does it? And then you've got to go into it all again. Can you see? You're double checking the whole time what the Bible says, and you are minimising the chances of actually getting it wrong. But remember, with a big chief leader, if he gets it wrong, then the whole church ends up going wrong as well. Okay, so then we've seen that elders or presbyters are bishops or overseers or guardians and are also pastor or shepherds and that the church is governed by a plurality of people who are co-equal, a plural co-equal eldership. Right. Now then, something else that the Bible teaches an eldership must be. We've seen it must be plural and co-equal. There's something else. An eldership, according to the Bible, must be indigenous. I'm looking around to see how many people know what that word means. None. Right, okay. No, indigenous, simply, if you're indigenous to a country, you were brought up in it. An elder must be indigenous to the fellowship in which he as an elder, in, in which he is an elder over. In other words, elders must be raised up from among the people they eventually become elders over. Let's, let's see this, go, go to Acts. Acts chapter 14. and find verse 21, Acts chapter 14, and verse 21. And we read, When they had 
preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And look, what you've got the early church here is that sort of like the apostles and the evangelists go out and they're going to places that have never heard the gospel and people are being converted. So you get churches, no problem. And then later on, they say, right, it's time to go one step further. And so they went back to those churches that had been planted maybe a year, two years ago, or maybe even only a few months ago. And then they say, right, Lord, who are the elders? Who are the elders? And the elders who were appointed were actually in that church all the time. Tremendously important. Go to Titus. See this again. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. And he says, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Paul is writing to Titus to say, look, mate, this is why I left you there. Do you remember? Something was defective. The time had come when these churches needed elders. It hadn't been done. Right, lads, you're there. You make sure that the elders are appointed. But can you see, he's not plopping people from the outside on them. He's appointing elders from within those churches. Very important. Just go to 1 Peter, just a little thing that Peter says. 1 Peter 5 again. One Peter chapter five, and in verse one, and this is Peter writing to the church, he says, I exalt the elders among you. Can you see? I exalt the elders among you. The whole thing assumes that the people who became elders were from that church over whom they eventually became elders. And I'll show you why. It makes absolute sense. You see, next time we're going to be looking at the qualifications of an elder, because not just anyone can be an elder. We're going to be looking at the biblical qualifications for an elder. And you see, the thing is this, that a man's qualification or fitness to be an elder could only be seen on the assumption that the church had known him well over a long period of time. Can you see? How could a church know if someone was right to be an elder over them? It's because that person has been amongst them for months or years, and the church say, yeah, they've proved that they're the next elder, no question about it, already treating him as if he is. That's how eldership is raised up. Can you see? So eldership, leadership, is raised up from among the fellowship because the fellowship, by definition, have got to know, love, and trust from personal experience, they've got to trust the people who are elders. Now, can you see the idea of plonking pastors on churches from the outside, straight out of college? Can you see that that could not be further from what the Bible teaches about church leadership? It is an absolutely unscriptural thing to do. 
The idea that there's a church and this church needs someone to lead it, and we've already seen it shouldn't be led by one person. But nevertheless, never mind, doesn't matter what the Bible says. But then they go and plonk someone, maybe from a different country or fresh out of Bible college or from miles away that nobody knows. They come to preach once, and if they like the sermon, they're in. Oh, this is a man we can love and trust. Is it any wonder that not a few churches find they've got leaders who end up running off with somebody within, you know, from the congregation? Is it surprising? They're allowing people they don't know from Adam to lead them. I mean, that is not only unscriptural, it's madness, this idea of, of pastors going around advertising for a church to join, you know, to lead, or churches advertising for a leader or a pastor. It's absolutely crazy. And you see, what sickens me about that system is quite simply this. It starts off, obviously, with the pastor or the priest, if it's the state church or whatever, all right, comes out of college. Now, the first church that you lead is never too hot. It's a little backwater one. It's one that everyone else has had problems with. It's, it's, it's not significant. The salary is very bad, and there's probably a few old dears in the congregation, and, you know, most of them are at each other's throats, and, and that, that's where you start, all right? That's your first. And you do two or three years, two or three years, and you know what? Then you're off. But you know what happens, I'll tell you. You go to a church this time that's a little bit bigger, little bit richer, little bit more influential. In other words, you've been promoted. <laughs> and leading churches has suddenly got nothing to do with serving people. It's got to do with your career. And of course, what happens is that the pastors who are really good at public speaking who really get the crowds flocking, maybe they got a bit of a healing ministry. And I've told you about all the believers out there with the rings in their noses being led around to all the big meetings. So some of these pastors, they find the ways to get this herd of believers out there to come to their church. Well, what happens there? I mean, if you're an Anglican, you get made a canon. Uh, <laughs> years ago, my rector, this was when I was in the Anglican church, years ago, he said he'd been made a canon. I said, what does that mean? You've been fired. <laughs> he wasn't very pleased. If you're an Anglican, you get made a canon. Can you see? And of course, if you're really lucky, you end up with these really influential churches. You know, the nationally influential ones. And the only churches they have for pastors are nationally known figures. Can you see? This has nothing whatsoever to do with what the Bible teaches. Remember, we've seen again and again, the church is not an organization. A church is an organism. And it must be led by people who have become an elder because they have proved that they are the right person for the job. I'm gonna say this, and it's important. When we're talking, I'm not now talking about salvation. I'm talking about eldership. The truth of the matter is that a man earns the possibility of being made an elder. And he does so by proving himself to that fellowship over months and over years. Now, can you see how important that is? A man has to prove that he qualifies biblically to be an elder. 
But the only way a church can know if a man does is if they know him really well and have seen him prove that over months and over years. So there, can you see it? Another thing about eldership, it's not only co-equal and plural, it must also be indigenous. Now there's something else I'm going to say here as well. We're going to be on this later in the course in more detail, but it needs to be said here that another thing about eldership in the church is that it is male. It is male. I'm afraid this is a men-only province. <laughs> Go to Titus. Remember 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, then you get Titus. Titus 1 verse 6. Again in this list when he's talking about elders, if any man is blameless, the husband of one wife. That is not followed by a verse that says, or is blameless, the wife of one husband. It is an exclusively male statement. Go to 1 Timothy. Now these verses we're going to be back to in greater detail in a special study later on in this series. For the time being, 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, Now a bishop must be above reproach the husband of one wife. And it's not followed by a statement that says, or the wife of one husband. Really? An exclusively male thing. Go back into chapter 2, just a few verses earlier, and in verse 12. And Paul says, I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over men. So here we have it quite clearly, all right, that women cannot have authority over men. Clearly, elders are in authority. Women cannot have authority over men in the church. Therefore, how can a woman be an elder? Elders have authority. So a woman cannot be an elder because that would mean that she's got to have authority over at least some men. And the Bible says that a woman cannot have authority over men. Now then, also, just think of this, because you know as well as I do that the churches out there, even spirit-filled churches, and I mean, women leadership is all the rage now. It doesn't matter, you know, sort of like, leadership can be male or female, they say. And, you know, I mean, the things they do to get round what the Bible says, it's crazy. Imagine what the world out there thinks of the church when we play around with the Bible in this way. It's absolutely crazy. The Bible teaches that eldership, apart from being co-equal, apart from being plural, apart from being indigenous, is also an exclusively male preserve. All right. Now then, we're going to look at deacons in another study. All right, but there's just something that I want to put in here. You'll remember a couple of studies ago, I think it was the last one in fact, that we were looking at the principle that because a church is an organism, because it runs on the life of Jesus himself, it's not an organization running on rules and regulations, there are rules 
They're all, you know, our regulations and they've got to be stuck to. But a church is more than that. It's running on the life of Jesus. It's a living thing. It's the family of God. And we saw that one of the principles is that although that you've got to make sure that what you do is always scriptural and that you don't do things that aren't scriptural, we said as well that it's absolutely vital that you only do things when Jesus is actually leading you to. So that it's not enough to just be doing what the Bible says. You've got to be doing what the Bible says when Jesus leads you to do it. Can you see what I'm driving at here? So the point is, we will never go into unbiblical structures. There's no excuse here for going into things that aren't scriptural. But with things that are scriptural, you move into them and you implement them only when the time is right. I mean, we're going to see when we do deacons, it would be ludicrous for us as a church to start appointing deacons. And yet it's right that a church has deacons, but we just don't need them yet. And Jesus hasn't led us yet to have them. Now then, here's the point. We've already seen the principle that the early church, they would plant churches, all right? And then, of course, the point was that those churches which were genuine churches, were existing for maybe quite a long time without an eldership. Is he? Because the elders were appointed later. Now here's the point. They were still churches even though they didn't have an eldership. And it would have been a big mistake if someone had turned up to one of these churches too early and said, what? You're a church and you haven't got elders? Oh, you've got to put that right with God, the Bible says elders. Can you see? Because the time hadn't yet come for them to have elders. Why hadn't the time come? They were all new converts. They got converted together within a few months. None of them were mature enough to be elders. Therefore, it wasn't Jesus' will that they have elders immediately. And that came later. So can you see the biblical structure eventually came into effect, but not automatically because the Bible said so. It came into effect because the right time had come. So we have got that principle. We know that there are biblical structures and any structures that exist must be biblical ones. But that does not mean that going around plonking structures arbitrarily on people is necessarily right. It is not always enough to be able to say the Bible says so. Because there are some things the Bible does indeed say but in God's time. Can you see? I mean, imagine that you went somewhere where no one, you know, no Christian had ever gone before. Neesden, you know? And there you are in Neesden, all right, and suddenly the Holy Spirit's poured out on you, and all you have to do is smile at people, and they, they come to Jesus, they get converted. And there you are suddenly, you've got maybe 50 new converts, and there they are, and you know, right, we've got to be a church. That's absolutely right, there's nothing else you can be. You've got to be a church, there's no other alternative to that, okay. But what's the first thing you're going to do? I'll tell you, it's not going to pick out a few elders, because none of them are ready for eldership, can you see? So it's important to understand that principle. Now, there's a way in which, even in regards to eldership, this may yet even relate to this fellowship and that is why I'm going to deal with it now. It's very practical but it's important. It's something that Robert and I have talked and prayed about because it's an eventuality that who knows may present itself to us and it's based on this simple fact 
that regrettably neither Robert nor I are immortal. None of us know what might happen to anyone at any time. I might walk under a bus tomorrow, this is not my intention, but no one can say it's not going to happen. Alright? Robert might drop dead from happiness and praising the Lord tomorrow. We don't know, do we? Now, can you see, it's certainly on the cards, it's a possibility and therefore something that we've got to be prepared for in advance, at any moment one of your elders could drop dead. Alright? Now then, what happens then? Because people will be sitting there thinking, oh goodness, we've only got one elder. But the Bible says that leadership, it can't be one big bloke at the top, it's got to be plural. Right, what's the answer to that? Well, let me explain the answer that Robert and I believe is right. And it's quite simply this. Our feeling is that it would be far better for a church in that situation, it would be far better for us as a church in one situation to carry on with one elder rather than to appoint other elders who aren't ready for eldership. Now the truth of the matter is this, there is no one else here ready for eldership. There will be in time, there isn't at the moment. And Robert and I believe that the wisest thing to do is that if anything happened to me, Robert will carry on as a single elder until such time as someone is ready to be appointed, which they will be immediately. If something happened to Robert, I would carry on as a single elder until such time as there was someone ready to be appointed an elder. And that would be absolutely no problem. But the proviso is this, because you may ask yourself, well then how would we be different from any other church? I will tell you, you would be being led by one elder who fully understood that it was vital that as soon as humanly possible, he's joined by another elder. Can you see? You will be being led by a single elder who did not believe that churches ought to be led by a single elder and who is therefore simply waiting until there is someone else or other people who could join him on the eldership. Therefore, you wouldn't end up with a big chief situation because the one elder who's left won't believe in this big chief situation and the only reason he's carrying on alone is because there's no one else yet who can carry on with him. Now can you see that? It would be absolute disaster and believe me I know that people have come from churches and you've seen this again and again. Have you seen what happens in churches? Have you had sufficient experience personally of what happens in churches when you have people in the eldership who are not biblically qualified? It's an unmitigated disaster. And therefore, Robert and I believe that should that situation happen, which we sincerely hope is not going to, but should it happen, then that is what would happen here. Whichever one of us was left, me or Robert, would carry on as a single elder until such time as someone else was ready to join us in that plural, co-equal situation. The difference being, though, that the elder who was left would be absolutely aware 
of the reasons why the Bible says that eldership needs to be plural. He would not be settling down and thinking, right, now I'm in charge. Can you see? And because of that proviso, it's a no-problem situation whatsoever, as long as you're waiting for the Lord to raise up leadership when it's ready, when he's ready to do so. So that's a very important point. I hope we'll never have to put it into practice, but we need to understand that. So, what have we seen? The church, a church, every individual church, biblically, should be governed by a group of elders. These elders are equal, all right? They're co-equal, there's no big chief. These elders only move when they are unanimous about the Lord's will, all right? We've seen also that those elders are going to be indigenous. They're going to have been raised up from among the people. They've proved themselves to the people they're leading. That's the main point. And we've seen that the elders are going to be male. So then, this is like an introductory talk. We've now got to go into this whole subject of eldership in much greater detail and there are going to be several talks of it. The first of which will be next week when we will be looking at what are the qualifications of an elder. Who can be an elder? Who can't be an elder? What are the qualifications? So we'll end it there.